Good afternoon, everyone. Um, hope you're doing well. We're going to cover today 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's what the passage we looked at in our midweek class on April 20th. And um, it is known as the love chapter. It's probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture um, in all of the New Testament. And not only that, um, I would argue, and I'm not saying I'm doing this alone, I think most would argue that this is quite possibly the best literary description of love that has ever been penned. So this is quite an incredible passage of Scripture and something easy to remember because it's the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians and there's 13 verses. So if you can just remember, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, you'll know exactly where to find this um, in your New Testament. going to give you an opportunity to read this, and we're pretty familiar with it. We hear it at weddings and stuff, but there's more to it than just simply being something quoted at weddings. This is something that is to be a part of all of our relationships, and in the context of what we're looking at today in this, um, the way that we treat each other in the body of Christ. That's that's what we're looking at specifically here. So going to give you the opportunity to read these 13 verses, um, press pause, and then we'll get back together and we'll just highlight um, a few things out of it. Okay, hopefully you had the time to um, to take a look at that. Remember, this passage of scripture about love is found just smack dab right in the middle of an ongoing conversation, uh, or answering a question, I should say, of Paul um, from the church in Corinth, and um, spiritual gifts is the topic. And they, more specifically, probably had a question for him along these lines. Um, does, does a Christian have to speak in tongues? They were very, very fascinated with this particular spiritual gift. Um, and Paul makes it clear that spiritual gifts are very important. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's going to talk very specifically about this, about those of the spiritual gifts that are, that are so vitally important and those that aren't quite as important. Um, But what he's going to make clear here before he gets into that specific part of his discussion is this. A church can get by, and I put kind of air quotes around that, a church can get by if gifts are momentarily lacking, meaning spiritual gifts. Um, And I'm not saying that's a healthy thing at all, but a church will get by if that is lacking for a time. But a church will die without love. And the most lavish showing of spiritual gifts cannot make up for a lack of love. Um, And that's what we're going to see here. Now, in the first about three verses or so, Paul's going to make a pretty strong... uh, Pretty strong... Um, oh, good grief. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, definition of, of love in, in somewhat of a negative sense. In other words, if I can do all of these things, but love is lacking, there is an issue with this. And the things that he brings up are great things. Um, uh, things like giving away uh, giving away all of my material possessions to feed the poor. That's, that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, having faith that moves mountains. That's pretty amazing. Giving up my body. In other words, sacrificing um, or being sacrificed because of my faith in Christ Jesus, becoming a martyr is what that is getting at, is, um, is a great thing. But this above stuff, all those things in the first three verses, they are only wonderful if love is the motivation for the action that is taking place. You remove love from it and they all become worthless. He says they are nothing without love. So then he goes from there, 
into verses 4 and 5 into more of a, of a proper definition of what love is and what love is not. And he begins right off the bat with mentioning love, with patience and kindness. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Um, fruits of the Spirit, keep in mind there's a big difference between the gifts of the Holy Spirit and fruits of the Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are something that are given to us to build up the body of Christ. Um, fruit of the Holy Spirit is something that should be becoming more and more a part of who we are because of the Spirit's work in us as we grow in Christ. So he gives from there and he talks about what love is and what love is not. What love does not do. He talks about bragging, talks about acting unbecomingly, which basically means being rude. Um, it doesn't seek its own. One in particular, he says, is love is not provoked. That means stirred up easily. And there are negative and positive examples of this in scripture. Um, one of the positive examples comes from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, where the same word is used. And it basically this, stir one another up to uh, by love to to serve one another to do things that are um, that are beneficial to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can be stirred up for what is wrong or stirred up for what is right. Um, he continues to to move on talking about this. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices in the truth. Now I've been guilty of doing this before, removing this passage of scripture from the context in which it's found, and that's not a good thing. You never want to do that. And I've always thought that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It just means that basically that that uh, if something wrong is happening, I should never ever take joy in that. And where that that's that is scriptural. This needs to be seen in the context of relationships. So what it basically means is this: if I see someone else being hurt, even if they deserve to be hurt because of poor choices that they have made. Um, I should never take take joy in or gloat about what is taking place from there. There is no room for that um, within the love of a believer. So love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices with the truth. And once again, I've always kind of looked at that in that just what is ever right, um, love um, rejoices in that. But this must be seen as well in the context of relationships. So if someone is seen or shown to be uh, innocent of something that they have been convicted of, whether it be in court or whether it be just be in life, um, seeing this in the context of relationship, we should rejoice in that, that the truth is known. For, for instance, say someone is acquitted of something, we should, be, we should rejoice, take joy in that. And then it goes on to say that love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. And something to keep in mind with that, is it brings up at the beginning of that verse 7, love bears all things, it ends with love endures all things. Now the thing we need to understand about this is, is whereas the Greek and the word is stegion, it can mean endures. It must mean something different here. Paul would not use the the same de, the same two qualities to define love. So so what does this mean? Well, the word in the Greek can also mean to cover something. 
And what that means is this, the same word is used in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, where it basically says this, um, love covers a multitude of sins. And, and what, what does that mean? Does that mean us loving someone can, can remove someone's sins? No, only the blood of Christ can do that. What it's getting at is, is we can overlook someone's sin against us because of our love for them. And this goes right back to 1 Corinthians 6, 7, where Paul is so frustrated with the church in Corinth because they are actually taking each other to court and he is infuriated by this he says he says why are you doing this why can't you take care of this yourselves why are you bringing this issue up before the court before unbelievers and then he goes on to say this why are you wronging each other and why are you allowing yourselves to be wronged in other words it's one of those things about maturing in christ to become unoffendable in other words someone can't hurt me because my love for them does not allow what they have done to affect me or affect the way that I think of them. Now, this is not mean to be naive or anything like that. This is just saying that we are ready to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Love covers a multitude of sins. So that's a lot what that bears means, all right? Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. We must be ready to believe the best about someone. We must be ready to give second chances to people because that's what love does. Love never fails. Verse 8, literally, it means love never falls. And it means that love reigns absolutely forever. And this is how kind of this will wrap up in a little bit. And then Paul goes from there to just explain how how right now what we are in Christ is 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 a wonderful thing. Our love, including this, is a wonderful thing. But the thing we must understand is that we will not be completed in Christ until we meet Christ face to face one day. And he goes on to explain this, how um, when I was a child, I thought as a child, when I become a man, um, I will think like a man, using words of this kind. And um, this in part something we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a number of different things for us, and one of them is the Holy Spirit um, is the one who gives us these gifts through which we can build up the church, but the Holy Spirit is also a pledge of what is to come. And um, and that is discussed in actually 2 Corinthians in a couple of different places. Um, that pledge literally means um, a down payment. So, so what we have and what we are in Christ now is not completed yet, but he will finish that work one day. And Paul goes on to explain this. I love in verse 12, he says, For we see in a mirror, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then we will know fully, just as I have been fully known. Um, when we think of a mirror, we got to understand our thoughts and our <laughs> what we think of as a mirror would not be similar to what would be thought of in the first century. Um, we basically have um, something that is attached to the back of glass and it makes um, that film makes what we see very, very clear. Back then, the mirror was a metal mirror. It was distorted. It was dim. It was not, it was not anything like we would think of as a mirror. And um, what Paul is making the point here is he said, now we, we just aren't there yet. Um, one day we see like in a mirror dimly now, but one day we will see face to face. And that makes me think of Moses, who was called the friend of God, who, who saw God face to face. Now, not God in his full glory, obviously, but one day we will see God and know him fully. And he says, goes on to say this in verse 12, um, I will one day know fully and I will be fully known. Uh, 
this is the thing we've got to understand. This is something we should be very excited about. One day we will know God as well as he knows us. And that's something um, to definitely look forward to. So then he wraps all of this up in his discussion on love. He says this, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And you got to understand something. When you're talking about faith, hope, and love, you're talking about like the trifecta here. This is like the the best of the best when it comes to um, our relationship with Christ. But here's the deal. Of those three, only love is eternal because there will be no need for faith or hope when we reside in the presence of God one day. Love will be there though. Love reigns forever. So um, a great thing, right in the middle of this discussion on spiritual gifts, we get this incredible definition of love. It is the ultimate, the superior, in Paul's words, the more excellent way, and it must always be a part of our relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love the people around us um, as ourselves. So um, that's something we must keep in mind. Um, We'll be together again tomorrow evening. It'll be Wednesday April 27th, and we'll take a look at chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Hope you can make it. That will be our last last time together um, before summer break, and then we'll be jumping right back in and hopefully wrapping up our discussion in 1 Corinthians, and who knows, we might jump into 2 Corinthians next year as we meet back together. So, hope to see you tomorrow night. Um, class will begin at 7 o'clock. There's a meal before that at 6. If you haven't joined us before, don't let that keep you away. There will be classes for all ages um, following that meal, and we hope to see you. Have a good evening.